Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Again, let us pray. Father, we pray now as we meditate on your word that you would illumine our minds and our hearts, give us understanding that we may properly know you and worship you and rejoice in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. There's one thing that's very clear in the Gospels, and that's that Jesus repeatedly told his men that he would be crucified, and then three days later he would rise from the dead. He told them this many times during their three years together, and they didn't really understand it. He didn't even, he didn't even underst- they didn't understand it when he spoke it to them face to face. And they could ask questions of him and he could respond. In the Gospel of Luke, we read this, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon And after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise from the dead. But the disciples understood none of these things. It seems so clear to us, doesn't it? It seems so clear. There's this, then this, then this, then this. He's not speaking in in parables. It's just straightforward. This is going to be history. But the disciples understood none of these things, and the statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. That's how the Luke passage ends. Three times it says they didn't get it, they didn't get it, they didn't get it. The apostles didn't understand what was going to happen, even though Jesus explicitly laid it out for them. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. Killed the third, killed and then the third day rise from the dead. I mean, what is he talking about? That's the sort of conversations they would have been having. Had they learned nothing, right, we think, had they learned nothing during those three years that they went around with Jesus as apprentices. How many times had he mentioned the resurrection to them? Why were they not understanding? Jumping forward, the Lord meets with the apostles after his resurrection. Yes, he was alive after he died, and for a time period, he visited with the apostles. What happened there that made these unbelieving apostles into believing missionaries who preached to the nations about the resurrection of Christ from death. What happened there? Here's the scene, and notice that it is supernatural intervention that led them to believe the resurrection and this, who was resurrected, okay? Luke 24, 
says this, while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. No doubt to convince them of something, right? Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law and the prophets, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand Scripture. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So it's like he says it again, and this time, because they've been given that supernatural knowledge, they're like, oh, that's what all of that was about. From that point on, what are the apostles continuously talking about? From that point on, they're they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as you might suspect. That becomes their theme. They had lived with Jesus. They saw him die. Then they lived for a few days with Jesus again before he ascended to the Father. And they have an historical fact to hang their hopes on. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And by that resurrection, they have a testimony to who rose from the dead, the Son of God. Here's a taste of the resurrection preaching of those apostles after Jesus left them and went and ascended to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Acts 2.22, men of Israel, listen to these words. So this is Peter preaching in Jerusalem to Israel. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. Acts chapter 3, after Peter heals a man who had been uh, lame from birth, he says this, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And then the next day, right, when they're dragged before the authorities for uh, their good deeds, this, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which, the, which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So then, again, in response to the council, when they were detained for not obeying their, their godless decree, when they told him to stop preaching this, this Jesus, we read this. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this, in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And then in Acts 10, it goes on. Resurrection sermons, resurrection sermons, resurrection sermons, right? Acts 10, to Cornelius and his household, Peter says... The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So the apostles, as we 
take Peter as a pattern, we're very careful to preach about Jesus Christ, the man who died and then arose from the dead. That amazing historical fact was at the heart of the preaching of the apostles. It was, it was an astonishing thing. Many would hear it and think it outlandish, right? As many still do today. There was a day when the Apostle Paul was standing before the philosophers in, in Mars Hill, in the intellectual capital of the world during the first century. He was, he was in, in Athens. Do you, do you remember what it was that Paul said that intrigued those philosophers that liked to hear about new things? What did he say that so intrigued them? Well, here's how the passage reads. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with Paul. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He finishes his sermon to those philosophers, those curious philosophers, with these words about, you guessed it, the resurrection. He says, God is now declaring to men that all men everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And the scripture then says this about the response of the crowds. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, scoff, sneer, look at him sideways. But others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. What, what joy to have your name written there that you were one of the ones that heard Paul and, I mean, recorded there in the eternal word of God. So, the historical accounts we read about in the Gospels, Jesus being crucified, dying, and then three days later coming back to life, being resurrected from death, was the heart of what was preached by those apostles who had spent time with Jesus himself. Jesus had spoken of it openly while he was with them, and they didn't get it. Then it happened, and the Holy Spirit opened their minds to understand it, and it became the core, the very centerpiece of everything they preached from that time on. And that message has carried on through the ages, through the ages up to today from this pulpit in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And it will continue until Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. A hundred years ago or so, uh, J. Gresham Machen wrote this. He said, 1900 years ago, there lived in an obscure corner of the Roman Empire one who would have seemed to a superficial observer to be a remarkable man. 
He engaged in a career of religious teaching accompanied by a ministry of healing. At first he had the favor of the crowd, but since he would not be the kind of leader the people demanded, he soon fell victim to the jealousy of the rulers of his people and to the cowardice of the Roman government. He died the death of criminals of that day on the cross. At his death, his followers were discouraged. They had evidently been far inferior to him in discernment and in courage, and now what little courage they may have had was gone. His death meant the destruction of all their hopes. Never, one might have said, was a movement more completely dead than the movement which had begun, been begun by Jesus of Nazareth. Then, however, the surprising thing happened. The surprising thing happened. It is a fact of history which no real historian denies that those same weak, discouraged men, the followers of Jesus, began within a very short time after the shameful death of their leader in Jerusalem, the scene of their cowardly flight, the most remarkable religious movement that the world has ever known, the movement commonly called the Christian Church. At first, that movement was obscure but it spread like wildfire. In a few decades at the most, it was firmly planted in the chief cities of the civilized world and in Rome itself. After a lapse of less than three centuries, it conquered the Roman Empire. Incalculably has been its influence upon the whole history of the world. What caused that remarkable change in those followers of Jesus? What caused those weak and cowardly men suddenly to become the spiritual conquerors of the world. At that point, the difference of opinion arises, he writes, yet even with regard to that point, there is a certain measure of agreement. It is now admitted by historians, both Christian and non-Christian, that those followers of Jesus became the founders of what is commonly known as the Christian church because they became honestly convinced that Jesus was risen from the dead. But what in turn produced that conviction? What produced the belief of the first disciples in the resurrection of Christ? This there is where the difference of opinion comes in. The New Testament, of course, has a perfectly clear answer to the question. The belief of the disciples in the resurrection, according to the New Testament, was due simply to the fact of the resurrection. These disciples came to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead for the simple reason that Jesus had risen from the dead. He had risen from the dead and they had not only seen his tomb empty but had seen him himself alive after his death on the cross. I mean, what a simple statement, no? The amazing zeal of the apostles after Jesus' death can only be explained by the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. <laughs> they had been offended by the cross. The resurrection took away that offense. They had been scattered by the cross. The resurrection brought them back together. They had been uh, thoroughly dejected by the cross, and the resurrection just unbridled all of their joy. The Apostle John talks about the importance of this history. 
right at the start of his first letter, he talks about the importance of this historical fact. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. You see, John is like, we saw these things. We heard these things. We touched these things. And we wrote them down for you. Theologian Herman Bavink wrote, The resurrection of Christ was an enormously important constituent of the faith of the church. Without that faith, it would never have started. All the disciples had been offended by the cross. When Jesus was taken prisoner and killed, they had fled and gone into hiding, but their faith revived when they learned that Jesus had risen. They were now able to reconsider his whole life in the light of resurrection. They now understood how he had been anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, how his works and wonders bore witness to his Messiahship, how he had to die according to God's, God's counsel, and how by his resurrection Jesus had been appointed Lord and Christ, leader and judge. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this historical fact, must be at the center of our teaching and preaching. Why? Because just as Christianity makes no sense without the cross, that atoning death of the sacrificial lamb that I spoke about on Friday, Christianity makes no sense without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If there was no life for Christ after a perfect life and a gruesome death, well, then there is nothing. Christianity is centered in history and actual facts, okay? It is not a secret society based upon unshareable, hidden, unrevealed secrets, like we're Masons. It is based upon historical facts that I saw and mortal men experienced, events that took place in this world by the God who created this world. There, there is a tendency in our churches today, in evangelicalism and in American Christianity, perhaps even in our own hearts, and this is nothing new in the history of the church, to detach the Christian faith from history. There's a tendency for us to detach the Christian faith from history. Over a hundred years ago, many in the church in America, victims of modernism, were denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. They still called themselves Christians, but they said, nah, that didn't happen. And in American evangelicalism, there's been a movement that has dehistoricized the faith to the point that it doesn't really matter if these things happened in history at all. Jesus is, to many, an emotional pacifier. That, just, that merely allows them to get some spiritual vibes on during this life. Jesus in many evangelical churches is simply reduced to a vibrant example of a man who was really, really deep, right? Who had, who had a sophisticated God consciousness. 
whatever that means. He's a good reason for the season, a good reason to feast and celebrate and get our Easter bunny on, right? Or our Santa Claus on. I think we can safely say that there are many who call themselves Christian who really don't care whether Jesus rose from the dead. Do they know that the scriptures say that if they don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, that they will not be saved when they die? Romans 10.9, our passage, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do they know that scripture says that if the dead are not raised, the whole gospel is just stupid? Stupid, foolish vanity. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, we read it. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is in vain. Let's go home right now. Let's just go home right now. We had our pancakes. That's Jesus is the reason for pancakes. And so let's go home. There's no reason to preach and teach these things. Paul goes on, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, what does he say? Your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Calvin wrote, scorners will treat as a fairy tale what the evangelists relate as history. Scorners. Are you a scorner? Is it a myth? Is it a fairy tale? Is it um, tradition? A tradition of your family? But it certainly is not a historical fact. Because you, you believe that every bit of history has to be explainable by, by, well, by observation. There has to be a, a, a sort of a, a, a drop of truth that we can put onto something that tells us, yeah, that, that's, that happened. There are many scorners in the church, no, people who could interchange Jesus with Buddha or Jesus with DMT, or Jesus with, with any celebrity. They just want somebody to follow, somebody to make them feel good, somebody to stimulate them, right? But only one man rose from the dead, Jesus Christ. And you know what? The Apostle Paul makes an extraordinary argument to provoke those who will not believe it could have happened. You know what he does? He looks to a seed. A seed. He looks to a little seed we plant in the ground and forms a lesson from a seed. He writes in 1 Corinthians 15, you fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. So also is the resurrection of the dead. 
It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. Right? Little seed. You can put a seed on a shelf for how many years, and then you, all you have to do is stick it in the ground, add a little moisture, and boom, you get life. You get life. That's the analogy that the Holy Spirit uses to teach us about the resurrection. He's, he's pointing out something that is functionally dead, but that when put in the ground, comes to life, produces a living plant. It is amazing that we take that for granted. Those seeds sit in the envelope, and we do very little, and we get a beautiful flower. So scripture argues, since you have seen this happen countless times, why do you find it hard to believe when it comes to the God-man, Jesus Christ? Now, I've been taking time to make you think on the historical nature of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that it took place in time, in reality, in this reality that we know, that, that witnesses saw it, wrote it down, preached it to the nations, that that historical witness has come down to us. The historical fact of the bodily resurrection of Christ is at the core of the Christian faith. One may not deny that history and call oneself a Christian. Impossible. History, because of the incarnation and the resurrection and the second coming of Christ, means more to Christians than to any other cultist or follower of false deities. History is everything. So many religions only emphasize mystical experience. That is not Christian faith. We have wonderful experience of God, right? But we don't live for mystical experience. Christianity is based upon pure historical facts. But we must go further than just believing an historical account. One might believe even in the historical fact and not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. How, you ask? Well, again, Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord... Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice that there are two elements mentioned that lead to salvation. Believing God raised Jesus from the dead, and confessing with your mouth Jesus as Lord. I suppose there have been some who might believe that Jesus' resurrection was one of those unexplainable phenomenon or even a miracle, something that would show up on those mysteries, you know, TV shows. They might believe those sorts of things, like a conspiracy theory, something like that. But if they believe that and yet refuse to affirm that Jesus is Lord, that he is God, that he um, just incidentally died and came back to life, well, they have not come to know Christ. He did not just incidentally die and come to life, right? He laid down his own life. He took up his own life as Lord. Such was his power as God. You must believe that Christ is Lord. You must believe that Jesus is God. And it is these historical facts, the very resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that testify that Jesus was God. 
right? The Apostle Paul makes that point in the very first few verses of his letter to the Romans. He says, Paul, a bondservant, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, right, all that history, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, more history, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection declares that he was the Son of God and he had power as of God. The one who died and rose again was not just an ordinary man who experienced some strange things. No, you must believe that the one who died and rose was the Son of God, the prophesied Messiah, the one who came at the fullness of time, the firstborn from the dead. You must believe that he was God, and that he is therefore Lord. He is the eternal Son of God who is well-pleasing to the eternal Father. He is the Creator who has existed before all time, and he is, too, the friend and Savior of sinners, of those creatures he made who have groped about in the darkness since the fall of Adam. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in the historicity of the resurrection, no, he who believes in me, in me, will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So speak of the one who is dead and who is then alive, but don't stop there. Modern life should have firmly convinced you that people will believe anything. What crazy things do you hear about people believing? <laughs> There's some people that are convinced that the earth is flat. Seriously. As supposedly they've got the science to prove it. Um, there, there's some who are convinced that the moon landing was a hoax. There's some who are convinced that we evolved from apes. There's some who are convinced that babies in the womb are not persons. There's some who are convinced that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man. Herod was convinced that John the Baptist was Jesus back from the dead. Right? How many books have been written by people who testify that they came back to life after they died? Right? People will believe anything, and they will do so by analyzing things they've seen. So believing that Jesus rose from the dead could just be added to a long list of crazy things people believe. But it is not the simple fact of Jesus' death and resurrection, but the fact that the one who laid down his life and took it back again was God himself. It is the question of who is Jesus that is so important. And the words of Christ recorded in the scriptures teach us that Jesus was the Son of God. Don't, don't disbelieve that. If you find that hard to believe, soften your heart toward the scriptures believe that Jesus was God. Believe that Jesus was the Son of God, right? And the words of Christ recorded in the scriptures teach us that Jesus was God, the second person of the triune God. He is the one slain before the foundation of the world. He is the logos. He is the word. He is the creator of the world. 
and he is the Savior of the world, sent by his Father to save you. To save you. Yes, there is a God. He is triune. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Son. He died and rose, and all of that fell out by the plan of God. Or we're just dirt that got organized by some heat. Over the course of millions of years, And you're no more valuable than the dirt you wash off your car when you go through a car wash. Or we're not unique and there are millions of other civilizations in this huge universe that perhaps have their own gods and, and the universe has just always existed. Or, you know, there is a God. I don't want to go as far as to say there's not a God. I mean, there's a God, but he's not personal. He, he just got things going, and he has had no interaction with mankind at all. He's aloof, he's distant, but, but I kind of like the fact that he's there, but leaving me alone. Leaving you alone in your sins. No, no, no. God is personal, and he has visited his own ruined creation through the incarnation, the life, the death, and the glorious resurrection so that you may be saved from your sins. Scripture teaches us that that the resurrection furnished proof that Jesus was the Son of God. He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection furnished proof of the person of Christ. He was God. Now, do you still find it hard to believe? Some of you may still find it hard to believe. Well, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, can convince you of all of this. He can convince you that Jesus rose from the dead and that Jesus is Lord. He can firmly plant in your heart knowledge of the who and what of Jesus Christ. He can give you a second birth which will bring with it new knowledge and new hope and new understanding just like he did with the apostles on that day. They they got things. These beliefs about Christ and his resurrection define what it means to be a Christian. That you attend church, that you had a mom or dad who believed that you prefer the morality of Christendom to, to the morality of secularism, right? That you, that you are civilized and self-controlled, that you read the Bible perhaps, that you know your neighbors, you care for your neighbors, that you drive the speed limit and refrain from cussing, that you are baptized, does not mean you are a Christian. You may have participated in some Christian traditions, but it does not mean you are a Christian. Do you know Christ? Do you love Christ? Do you trust Christ? Do you entrust your heart and soul and mind to Christ as your Lord and God? 
Do you revel in him? Do you live for him, right? Do you long to be with him? Do you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord and that he rose from the dead? Those of you who who do know and love and trust and confess Jesus Christ as the risen king of heaven and earth, you get to feast and revel on this day. You get to rejoice. You get to sing God's praises all day long. He has atoned for your sin and his death. He has conquered death in his resurrection. And so rejoice on this day and every Sunday, the day of resurrection. Proclaim with me and along with the apostles glorious praises like this. This is where I'll close. Think of this praise by the apostle Paul. But whatever things were gained to me, all the earthly pursuits, wherever we've gotten a badge or a trophy or some recognition or, you know, we got to put doctor in front of our name, all those things like that. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You who believe, you who know Jesus, you who proclaim him your Lord, you who believe he rose from the dead, rejoice, you have resurrection power. And one day you will rise from the dead and you will go to be with him, forever to be with him. All will be at rest and all will be at peace. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, what glory that you are personal, that you are mindful of us, that we are dust, that you are compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, that you you hatch this plan to rescue us from what we, through Adam, had ruined, which was our fellowship with you. But you have brought us near by the blood of Christ. You have given us hope, and you have have testified to us that as Jesus rose from the dead, so those who believe will rise too. Oh Lord, we long for it. There are lovely things in this world. There are works that we want to do. But Father, most of all, we want to be risen from the dead in your presence, resting and worshiping without any possibility of being molested by even a sinful thought. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.